Good morning. This morning, I, I, uh, I was listening to, uh, on TV, the, uh, the preachers on between 8.30 and 9, and I just feel for these people that are here, and this, the, the place was full of people, and he said that the Christian life is like you're in a rowboat, and Jesus is standing, sitting at the front of the rowboat, you know, like those slave ships, you know, row your life, you know, whatever, and... He said, that's the Christian life. Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep rowing. Just keep working hard as you can, but keep your eyes on Jesus and row to the end. And just every morning you get up, just determined to do your best and obey. And, and I'm thinking, and I know what he's trying to say, you know. He's trying to say, just, you know, follow the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, whatever. But you can't say those things and not couple them with the truth that it is him within you that's living his own life through you. That's, a mis- that's misleading the people. Just to one side of the coin is, is all about obedience and works and manifestation and not to include the real heart and the truth and the power of the message that he's not outside you saying, row, row, you know, and you're doing all the work. It's him within you doing the rowing. And I don't know, this is so frustrating. Another way to look at that is you're sitting in his lap. You both have hands on the oar. He's saying, go, go. That's it. But you can let go and it'll go by itself. Yeah, like a ch- that's exactly. That's, that's a good, like a child going, oh, daddy, let me row the boat. Yeah, here's some. Put your hand right here. and That's exactly right. And I just, I feel for those people that are hearing this, this one-sided message. You know, a one-sided message is a wrong message. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not the right message. The right message is really all about him and then we just let him be who he is in us and through us and the fruit comes forth anyway um last sunday i didn't get a chance to share the uh you know we didn't get to get into that john chapter four the the samaritan woman event um there's so much truth there i want to jump into that this morning um saturday um millie lugo had her conference here at the church and some of you guys were there and that that message i shared Saturday morning at 11 a.m. is now online if you want to check it out. I think you'll like it. I talked about how God made covenant with himself for us. So we talked about that scene in Genesis 15 where the smoking furnace and the burning torch went between the pieces for, and Abram had nothing to do with it. It's really cool. So that's on the, online now if you want to check it out. This morning I want to share some thoughts about this Samaritan um, event, you know, with, with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Um, to me, this is one of the greatest pictures in, in, the, in the scriptures or in the gospels of the heart of God. The heart of God, especially toward rejected people or people that are looked down upon in our society. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Um, this whole scene is awesome about God's grace and, and seeing the heart of God. Um, and you, you, even in your own life, you may have felt like, you know, I've just blown it too much where I can't, I can never, it can never be like it was before. I can never have the relationship I had with God before. You know, I'm going to have to take his second best. I'm going to have to take his plan B or plan C. Or I'm now at plan H now. I'm really, really messed up. You know, whatever. And this, and I was uh, driving over here and I heard the, the song, one of my favorite songs, because it really was a, a turning point in my own life. When I heard Benny Hester sing When God Ran. If you've never heard that song before by Benny Hester. He passed away not too long ago, I think, but Benny Hester, 
The name of the song is When God Ran. It's about the prodigal son when, when the father ran to the, to the prodigal son. The only time in Scripture that it shows God, a picture of God running. And um, it's awesome music, awesome song. And it was at a point in my life when I was burned out on legalism and just didn't understand the grace of God. And I was parked in a parking lot of a church and uh, at night just just looking for God. And, and someone gave me that tape and I put the... Um, put the, the tape in. I was sitting there in the parking lot. Figured I was, you know, closer to God if I'm in the parking lot of the church. <laughs> so I got, that, I got on that holy ground and put the tape in. And, and I had been a, I'd been a believer for like 10, 10, 11 years. Well, 10 years. But I just burned out, you know, trying to do everything and trying to be a good Christian. And, and I put that, that tape in. When God Ran, awesome, powerful, powerful music if you want to hear it um, one day. But it talked about how he was surprised. He was surprised when he saw him run. He goes, that's the only time I saw him run. And he ran to me. It was, it's awesome. But, it, but um, oh yeah, and the song talks about how, how um, don't you know, son, I still love you. And so if, for anybody, you or another person, you think that you've ever blown it to where you can never get back where he wants you to be or whatever, it's a lie. Because he's always with us, always for us, even until the end of the world. And this, this, this scene in, in Samaria is an awesome picture of that. So let's, let's get into it re- real quick. And we're going to wrap it up around 10.15 and give you guys plenty of time to get coffee and settle down outside. Lord, we just thank you that the reality of your love is, is so rich and so consistent. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that by the power of the Spirit that we would be encouraged this morning and that my brothers and sisters would hear the voice of the Son of God and hear your voice say, Come, you who are heavy laden and burdened, don't be afraid. I am your rest. I am your rest. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm still thinking about the analogy. I love that where the daddy's got this child's hand on his hand doing the oars. That's what he should have preached. Okay, let's look at this. Gospel of John chapter 4. Gospel of John chapter 4. The Apostle John is writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he writes his gospel. (coughs) Gospel of John, chapter 4. Let's just start verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. This is very interesting, these first three verses. Basically, the Pharisees were trying to start this competition thing. And so they started talking about, oh, I think Jesus is baptizing more people than you, John. And so trying to start this competition, Jesus said, I'm not going to have any part of that. He left. Jesus left the whole area so he wouldn't looked like he was competing with John, which I think it was amazing. Just so he said, I'm out of here. So the Pharisees were trying to stir up trouble 
between John and Jesus, and Jesus just walked away. Um, I thought, also think it's cool where it says Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. The Pharisees thought it was Jesus baptizing, but Jesus never baptized anybody in water because he would baptize us in the spirit. The, the water was a picture of the flesh, picture of a, a type, but he himself, we were baptized by Christ himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he who baptized um, he, he, he who baptizes with the Spirit and with the fire is, is who Jesus is. But men baptize other men with water. So I think that's kind of cool. Okay, verse 4. And he, had come to pass, and he had come to pass through Samaria. He's heading towards Samaria because from Judea to Galilee, you have to go through Samaria. Judea is in the south. Galilee is in the north. So he has to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. And verse 5. So he came to, the, to a city of Samaria called Sychor, um, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. Jesus got wearied. He, he, was, he was a man, fully man and fully God, and he, was, he experienced our <coughs> weariness. So when you're weary, just, it's a God thing. Um, so he was wearied from his journey. It was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Sixth hour in, in that timing, um, the hours begin in, in John's thinking here as the first hour would be 6 a.m. in the morning. So by saying the sixth hour, it's 12 noon. It's hot in the middle of the day, 12 noon, the sixth hour. This whole thing about Jacob's well is an awesome teaching. One day we'll look at all the wells that Jacob dug. And the reason why he is at Jacob's well here, it's a picture of this whole thing he's about to talk about in terms of living water. But that's, that's, why, he's, that's why Jacob's well is part of this story. Okay, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? Since I'm a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. No dealings. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It shows you how people are with other people. People resent other people. People have these things about, against other people, and they say, I have no dealings with those people. But God doesn't see things that way. God is coming right into the middle of this Scenario where the Jews have no dealings with these people, Jesus doesn't even see that. He's not, he's not involved in that pettiness. He's more than willing to ask a woman to give him a glass of water to drink. Isn't that cool? How could she tell he was a Jew? Was it the way he was dressed? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's a good question. It's not in the text, I don't think. It must be the way he was dressed, maybe, or, yeah. That he, she could tell by the... Maybe she had heard about some of the stuff that Mary had, whatever it was, you know. Maybe she had heard about it. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question because she def, definitely, right off the bat, said, you know, you're a Jew, why are you asking for water? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would, have, he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Now, to me, the verse 10, when he says the gift of God, he's referring to the Spirit, the Spirit of life, the gift of God. 
So know, know this, that he's talking about a gift that she could ask him for, and it would be living water, not just water. Verse 12, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, now this is where John is going through his gospel, showing how Jesus is superior to, to all the fathers, that he is the son of God. You're not greater than Jacob, are you? Yes. He is the well. Verse 13, and Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the one that Jacob dug, shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. This is so cool. I think what Jesus is saying here is that when you talk to people about Jesus, when you talk to people about God's grace and love, they're drinking from your words. They're, drink, they're taking a drink of your words. It's like cold water to them when you encourage them and speak to them about Jesus. If they drink of that water and believe, the very water they drank, the words you spoke to them, become in them a well of water. In other words, they get born again. They get born of the Spirit the, the miracle takes place, the, cre- the new creation takes place, and the water that you were, they were drinking from you as you just were talking, that same water, that same truth has become the well within them. They have him as their own source now, and that's why they never thirst, because that water will become in you a well springing up into eternal life. Isn't that cool? So, and also, you've heard Jesus say before, and I think it's in the Gospel of John, that he who comes to me will never thirst again and never hunger again. So what's the deal with all this teaching out there that, you know, we need to hunger after God and hunger after God and I'm hungry for God and I'm thirsty for God. And what's, what's the deal with that? You know, pursuing God and going after God. What's the deal with that is that it's wrong thinking. It's, it's not, Jesus very clearly said, he who comes to me will never thirst again and never hunger again. So why are we still thirsting and why are we still hungering again and again and again and again? The reason why I think is because what he means by that is that it's like this. It's like God showed me this way. It's like being on a cruise ship and you have a buffet of food and drinks and, and it's 24-7 out there. Just all the food and drinks you want. So the moment you have a desire to drink, desire to eat, it's always there. It's not that you never thirst for more of God. You never hunger for more of God. That's not the point. It's that you never have a time in your life, if you know the truth, you never have a time in your life when you do hunger for him and there's no food. You see it? Or you thirst for him and there's no drink. Because he is is a continual feast, David says. The Lord is a continual feast. It's a continual buffet. So we still hunger for more of him and thirst for more of him. That's, That's good. But this business of, you know, uh, I'm going through a wilderness experience, and that's bogus. There's no wilderness experience when you're in union with the God of the universe. Unless you don't know you're in union with the God of the universe. As Jacob, and he said, God is in this place, and I knew it not. This is none other than the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. Revelation. He woke up. Okay, wow, God is here. I'm not thirsty anymore. Or you're thirsty, but you can have the drink. Whatever you want. Drink, eat all you want. That's what Jesus means. We still want more of God. We want to see him. We want to know more about him. We want to learn about him. We want to see. But there's never a shortage because he's inside of us. Isn't that awesome? That's what it really means. And that's what he says here. When he says, when, you, when this water becomes a well in you, you'll never thirst again because it's a spring. Every time you want to drink, it's there. Always, 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 always. So don't buy into this thing that, that you have to have these wilderness experiences in your life. 
where you're where you're um, where God is not around, and you know some of the mystics talked about this the the um, the cloud, unknowing cloud, the unknown cloud, and all these things the mystics talk about, and not you know finding this going through this time where you can't find God and whatever. It's not true. It's not true. God is always with us. His promise, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Always. And that, that revelation of union is always there. And that doesn't mean we don't, ha- we don't go through wilderness experiences in terms of tribulation and trial and heartache and, you know, whatever this world may throw at you. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. See the but there. Be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world and you're in me and I'm in you. Isn't that Awesome. That's the truth. That's how we should live our lives. Not this, I don't know, this religious view of uh, always trying to find God like he's trying to hide from us. He's not trying to hide from us. Okay. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And so she's thinking in the natural like Hazel would say. She's thinking down here and not up here. She's saying, okay, give me some of this water so I don't have to chug this bucket up here every day. You know, this is awesome. I want this magic water, you know. And so she's thinking in the earthly. Verse 16. And he said to her, Go, call your husband and come here, and then come back. Jesus owned us something right now. Verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband at all. This you have said truly. Oh, my gosh. I mean, she just said, truthfully, I have no husband. And he just, he just, just read her like a book. And now look at this. Look at how he, she responded to this. Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir. I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she goes right into this, I have a, I have a spiritual question for you. Your father's worshipped. Uh, okay, we're going to get, get to that in a minute. Now look at the response. You can tell how Jesus told, how Je- Jesus read her life to her. You could tell there was no condemnation in it whatsoever because she would not have responded the way she responded. I mean, he basically said, you're an adulterer. You know, you've got you know, five divorces. You're sleeping with uh, a man who's not your husband. Um, you're committing fornication. I mean, all those things he said, but he said it in a way that made her like, wow, you must be a prophet. <laughs> you know? Now, the typical prophet of the Old Testament would have said, Get the stones. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Thou art the man, you know, you, thou art the woman, you know, you, you know, how dare you ask a holy man a spiritual question when you have had five divorces and you're sleeping with a man and all this stuff, but not Jesus. It's like, now why did he do that? It's, it's because we've got to keep in mind that he looked at mankind. He looked at mankind and all their sin. I mean, you know, five divorces, sleeping with a man right now, fornication, even that case right there. The other case, the woman caught in the very act of adultery. All, all these, he looked at mankind from the perspective, from God's perspective. And what was that perspective? The perspective was not only that did God so love the world, that God loved man, but that Jesus himself would be their righteousness. 
So he didn't look at them in a way that was disappointing or condescending or trying to get them to do something so they could improve their lives or they could do something to be righteous. He came in their midst with this awareness that I myself am this woman's righteousness. Now I'm just going to talk with her. I just want to talk with her. I want to talk with her. I want, to, I want her to know me. Oh, if she would only ask me for the gift of God, she wouldn't thirst again. You see that? That's the perspective of God. God come, comes into broken humanity, not looking to broken humanity to fix themselves or get themselves right. That's what, that's what ticked off the Pharisees so much because he would eat with sinners. He would be right in the midst of them. And, and they, were, they had this view of, no, 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 you outwardly, you need to look holy and be holy for us to be with you. Because they had a self-righteousness instead of the righteousness which comes by faith that was coming through Christ. So we, now we too should have that same mentality as Jesus had. We can go right in the midst of broken humanity and, and look at the person and say, man, if you only knew him. You just got to know him. It's not about you getting better. It's not about you getting righteous. It's not about you working hard. It's not about that. But if you knew him, if you knew him, you'd be as righteous as God as a gift through faith. See? It changes your whole way of looking at people. You never, we never look down on anybody. Never, never. Look down for what? But for the grace of God, there go I. I mean, we get a gift of righteousness from God. What, what do we have that we have not received, Paul says? See? Nothing. It's all by him and from him. And so now we are his ambassadors and we stand in the midst of broken humanity and they sense, they sense that acceptance. They sense that acceptance. They're drawn to us. They'll, they'll open their lives to you. They'll start talking to you about things that they don't talk to about anybody else because they sense an acceptance. They sense a peace because you're not looking down on them. You're not, there's not this sense of they need to change or do something for them to be acceptable. You've got in your bosom the acceptance of God and you want to give it away. Isn't that awesome? That's the perspective of God. And that's what Jesus had. That's why he was just so, such a, uh, an enigma to the Pharisees because they didn't, it didn't compute because they didn't realize God was walking among them. God was about to give righteousness to everybody who would believe. Okay. Then he says here, yeah, then she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. The Samaritans had that, that doctrine. They had the mountain that Moses stood on and read the blessings and the cursings was in Samaria. That's the mountain that the Samaritans believe people should worship God on. That's, that's how they got their doctrine screwed up. When, when Moses stood on a mountain in Samaria and read the blessings and the cursings of the law, that's their big mountain. That's their place. The Jews say, no, 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 Jerusalem, where the temple is, that's where we, sh- we should worship God. So that's where the two doctrines were not even or not consistent. Jesus cuts through all this doctrinal mess and says this, woman, believe me, an hour is coming, and in other, some translations, an hour is coming and now is, unless it's further down. Oh, it's further down. Okay. Women, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain in Samaria nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. Now, he's talking about the Samaritans, half Jew, half Gentile. 
We worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. In other words, the Jews have the true revelation of God. Samaritans with a mixture of Gentile and Jew, basically the Lord is saying, you don't have the knowledge that the Jew has in terms of, you know, where the right place ought to be. But I'm telling you, that's not even the issue anymore because an hour is coming and now is. Verse 23. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. For God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, let's look at that real quick. This is so cool. So he's saying here, an hour is coming and now is. I love that. An hour is coming and now is. The now is part is that it's true now in him. Everything is true. Everything that he promised, everything that God would do was true in him at that moment because he had come. Righteousness, grace, peace, everything was true in him. John says in his letter, what was true in him has now become true in you. But that was the, that was the hour that is coming part. The hour is coming, but now is. It's now is, in fact, that he is all in all, and he is the truth, and he's the reality among men. But the, the hour is coming is the part that will happen after the death and resurrection and the giving of the Spirit, so that the, the, the reality of worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth is the hour that's coming. But it also is now is, because he's here. You see that? That's, so anyway, so he's saying here, the true worshipers worship the, the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, we've heard, I've heard preachers preach that, and they say, spirit and in truth, that means... Um, you know, we have to have the spirit, we have to have charis- charismatic gifts, but we also have truth. We have to have the word. We have, to have, we, have to be, we have to be grounded in doctrine. So we can't just have the spirit's operation and, and, and the giftings of the spirit and all that. We have to also be gra- grounded in doctrine, the truth, the word. That is so off. That is not what he's saying at all. And that's commonly taught out there. Spirit and truth, a balance of the spiritual, supernatural, but grounded in doctrine and in the word, the truth. No, that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying here, remember the question. The question is, do we worship in this mountain or that mountain? What's the opposite of spirit and truth? Well, first, I'll give you a clue. You you know this, but the word truth in the Greek means reality. It means reality, the real. The word truth means the real, the reality. So what's the opposite of spirit and truth? And the reality. The opposite of spirit is flesh. And the opposite of reality is a shadow of, or a copy of, of the reality. A copy of a heavenly thing or a shadow of the heavenly thing, but not the reality thing itself, the real thing itself. So you see what he's saying here? Remember in Hebrews it says, if the sacrifices of bulls and goats was sufficient to, uh, for the cleansing of the flesh. Flesh. The old covenant of law was a covenant with natural man, the flesh. It was a covenant with the flesh. Flesh did things, all as pictures of a a shadow of the good thing to come in Christ. So the opposite of spirit and truth is flesh and shadow. Or spirit and reality is flesh and shadow. So when she's asking questions about where do we worship in this mountain or that mountain, it's all about the flesh. Natural men going to a mountain. Natural men carrying up a bucket and getting water. Give me some of this water so I have to carry the bucket and go back up here every day and get water. Natural flesh and shadows. The temple was a shadow of the real temple. 
Christ himself, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up again in three days. He's the true temple. So all this thing, he says, the hour is coming and now is woman. When you don't go to Jerusalem in that shadow, that type, you won't have to be, you won't worship the Father in the flesh, in the natural, for God seeketh, the Father seeketh, 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 desires those to worship him in the same way that he is. He is spirit. God is spirit. And God's going to make you a new creation and join you, your, you to him who is spirit. That's who he desires, the true worshipers, the real Real worshipers are those who are in union with him and who are in this other dimension, not in a mountain on earth, but in another dimension. For we have not, Hebrews says, we have not come to the mountain that can be touched on this earth, Sinai, but we've come to Mount Zion, a mountain that cannot be touched in this realm, not of this creation, another realm, this other reality. That's the Father's desire that we worship in this other reality as we walk this earth, spirit and the reality. No more shadows, no more copies of the heavenly things, but the heavenly things themselves. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's saying to her. That's what spirit and truth means. It's the opposite of flesh and shadow is spirit and reality. He says the reality has come. No more do you go into in, a temple with priestly robes and offer bulls and goats. The real has come. The reality has come. For God is spirit and he seeketh such to worship him in, in union with himself as he really is. It's awesome. Okay, then he says here, and we got to, we'll wrap it up. Um, verse, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that, I know that Messiah is coming. Uh, he who is called the Christ. I know that when he comes, he will declare all things to us. And she, so she knew that there was, a, there was one coming that would talk like this one. Because she sensed, this, this one knows. He knows not only me, but he knows, he knows truth. He knows he cut through this doctrinal dispute and gave me truth. Oh my God. A new reality is coming. God, who is spirit, wants us to worship him in spirit and in the real. What is this? What is this? We know when he comes, this Messiah, we know that he will tell us all these things. He will explain these things to us. And then Jesus looks at her and says, I who speak to you am he. Oh my gosh. I who speak to you am he. Oh my gosh, no wonder she was strangely warmed in her bosom hearing these words explain the scriptures to her. Now look at this, verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he had been speaking with a woman, especially a Samaritan woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? You know, don't talk, to, you know, let's don't, let's don't question about this. I guess he has a reason for it, you know. Verse 28. So the woman left her water pot. She left her water pot. That, how, that's how excited she was. The water pot was her life to bring water back to her family. She left the water pot and ran back to her city. Look at this. This is the, she obviously did not, did not have a, an encounter with Jesus that was just some condemning hellfire preacher that read her, her life, right? I mean, she is so buzzed right now. She is so buzzed. She felt so, so accepted. She, she had this one offer her water that if she drank that water, she would never thirst again. This, this is unheard of. A Jew. I mean, and now he's saying that he is the one. Oh, my God. So she drops the water pot and she runs and she says, so the woman left her water pot and she went into the city and she said to the men, to the men, because remember, they say that the reason why she was there at noontime is because she was so rejected by the other women who went in the morning because she was considered, you know, prostitute or, you know, this, 
this loose woman who gets divorced at the drop of a hat and gets another man. And now, you know, so the other women already rejected her. That's why she went at noon in the hot of the day by herself because none of the other women wanted to go with her. So even among the Samaritans, she was rejected. Not just the Jews, but the Samaritans didn't like this woman. So you cannot get too low. Amen. You cannot get too low. Amen. God will get right in bed with you. Amen. He'll get right in the hole with you. There's a movie, I've I got to show you that scene one time, one day, that there's a movie where this, this, this father's adopting this son, and the son's dad is in jail, and he's like, he's like, he thinks his, his dad is, is all this, but he doesn't know his son really is not good, and this other father's trying to adopt him and take care of him, and so he finds out that his, his, his father died, and so he's so depressed, he goes out in the woods and takes a shovel and digs a hole in the, in the, in the uh, woods, and he lays down in the hole at, at night because he's just so depressed he wants to die. So he's like he dug his own grave, this, this little boy. And so he's in this, uh, this hole in the ground. And the father, the one who, was to, one, the one who wants, to, wants to adopt him, comes and digs a hole while he's sleeping, a hole, right? A bigger hole right next to him and lays down next to him in the hole. And they wake up in the morning. It's awesome. They wake up together in the morning and they walk together back to the house. It's awesome. That's God. Yes. Yes. Corey Ten Boom. Yes, yes, yes. We've got to wrap this up. Isn't that awesome? Okay. Then she says, verse 29, Come see a man who told me all things that I've done. Is not this the Christ? Excited to say, Come see a man who read my mail. With no condemnation. Verse 30, They went out of the city. And they were coming to him. And then we got, we'll have to finish this other part later. This other part about Jesus having other, <laughs> other food to drink and eat is awesome. We'll talk about that later. But oh, God is so good. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for helping us see your awesome love. You did dig a hole. You died and you were buried for us and you were raised again. There is no hole too deep. There's nothing, nothing separating us now. For we have the righteousness of God as a gift. We have water to drink that, because, that has become a well in us, springing up into eternal life. Lord, we just thank you. I pray a blessing on my brothers and sisters this morning. Help us see this great love and share it with others. Let us never look down on anyone, but come into their midst with hope and joy and mercy, realizing that we have a jewel, we have a treasure within us that they can have too. In Jesus' name, amen.